Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. Well, good morning. Uh, Donna's not here today. She's on a support trip, support maintenance and support development in North Carolina. And uh, put her on the airport yesterday, the airplane yesterday, and she'll be back in a couple days. So, uh, uh, but she wished she'd be here with y'all. Um, but uh, I just wanted to say to Amy how much I appreciate just your ministry to us in worship. Um, the words uh, of, and the hymn obviously just filled with, with, with scripture, but also just the beauty of, of the piano that really lifts our heart. I, my heart feels lifted, and I just wanted to tell you that and how much we really appreciate that ministry from you of your gifts. Uh, so thanks. Um, I want to talk about the, uh, the, the Garden of Gethsemane. We're, ta- we're in a series on epic prayers of the Bible. Uh, last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer, uh, and this is, uh, you know, uh, one of the most significant prayers of Christ's life. Uh, I've titled the sermon, Discipling Your Heart Through Prayer in Times of Desolation. Because um, I think prayer is a way not just to talk to God, but actually to disciple our hearts. You know, Amy was just talking about psalms of reorientation. Prayer, God can use prayer, right, as, as an exercise of reorientation. Um, uh, one of the um, big parts of my story that's uh, where I kind of hit a wall in spiritual direction, spiritual formation, we talk about hitting a wall spiritually, St. John of the Cross, the dark night of the soul. Um, and for me, it was, it was unemployment. Um, I uh, was a seminary professor, uh, and um, the seminary was challenged financially, uh, not able to meet its budget. I was the last one who was hired, and so I was the first one who had to be laid off. Um, but for me, um, that meant that I didn't have a day job, and I was unemployed, and I needed to pay my mortgage. And I sent out tons of resumes, um, and I got a huge folder of them on my, my, it got to be hilarious, a little humorous, just, you know, uh, just like I sent them into, into like a dark hole. <laughs> and they just, uh, all, all the uh, leads that I tried to develop and pursue just didn't work out. Um, and I'll, I'll say this, and this is funny, and y'all don't know this, and I don't think I've told anybody this, but I actually applied to Crossway three times. <laughs> you don't know if Keith, but I did. Uh, and, uh, uh, God has this funny sense of humor. Third time's a charm, right? Uh, but um, anyway, uh, in, as I really, spiritual formation has really challenged me uh, to, to dig deeper in my own story, um, to allow God to, to unpack my heart and for me to work on my baggage as I've gone through these difficulties. Uh, one of the things that I picked up was that you really have to go back and look at your past, your story, and it goes beyond even us because we have great-grandparents and grandparents and, and parents, uh, and their stories were handed down to us emotionally. Uh, and, and whether we know it or not, we're, we actually are touched by the generations of our, that have gone before us. And so I began to look back at my story and say, what is my story? Because, okay, I grew up in a, in, a, in a great home, great parents, uh, had a happy childhood, happy, uh, you know, uh, 
adolescence, I mean, I'm not saying there were problems and difficulties, but I'm just saying as, as things go, um, I really didn't hit major drama in life uh, probably until young adulthood. Um, and so when, when God smacked me over the head, or not God, but life, uh, you know, uh, it was a real shock to me. And it's like, okay, I didn't understand it. Where do I put it? And especially um, being called to unemployment, and I think sometimes we are called to unemployment, and I don't know if many of y'all, I don't know if you, any of y'all have been through that, um, uh, but that's what God took me through. And where did I, where did I, so I began unpacking this history. And what I went back to, and I looked back through my family, through the generations. First, I was under, trying to understand my dad. He fought in World War II. I really wanted to understand what was going on with my dad emotionally as I kind of began reflecting on his life, on things that he really never talked about. And I thought about his, his, where he grew up and his, his mom and where she came from. I went back into our family history. And what I really saw is that our, 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 my family lineage in many ways is marked by desolation. It's marked by a trail of tears, um, which I'd never really known before. But when I began seeing it, I began to see its fingerprints. Uh, it goes all the way back to my original Choctaw ancestor, whose name is Am Abigail Glenn Rogers. And this is her, um, her, uh, her stone, the death stone to commemorate her death. Um, she was born in a, in a village called Rest Trace on the Yabalusha River in 1770. It was in what was then the French territory called La Louisiane and what is now uh, what became the territory of Mississippi and ultimately the state. In 1830, however, you know, Andrew Jackson passed a law of removal, and her and her family and her tribe were removed from Mississippi on the Trail of Tears, going to Oklahoma, which is where my dad's side of the family ended up and where her aunts, where her children ended up, but she never made it there. She died on the Trail of Tears, and she died in a... Uh, a uh, place called Bear Creek on the White River in Arkansas, and uh, what is now Carroll, Arkansas. Um, and, uh, and, and then I, th I thought about uh, my grandmother, who's, through whom my Choctaw lineage comes, and I told you about her, her father, who was a deputy, U.S. Deputy Marshal, who was shot in the line of duty. Uh, and, and, and that trauma for her, that grief for her. Then she had eight kids, one of the, the last of whom was my father. But uh, her, her number six kid, whose name was Buster, died of appendicitis at eight years old, out in, a, in the middle of nowhere in the country where they just didn't have medical services, and she had to deal with that. And as a result of that, she was really crushed by it, and she had an emotional breakdown. Uh, and she ended up having to move to the city to live with my aunt, her oldest daughter, um, because she just couldn't deal with everything as she was dealing with grief. And my father grew up in that. That was a context that he actually grew up in with his mom actually living in another place for, most, for a lot of his life, or, or young years. And, and then he went to World War II and fought in the Pacific. My father never talked about it. I know through uh, just through some inklings that he actually had electroshock therapy afterwards um, to deal with PTSD. And, uh, but my father was, was a very winsome person, very people person. He, you would never know that except on the surface there was this anxiety. There was this uh, you know, dealing with the, these dark shadows. And, and, and as I understood where they came from, the context of growing up in the Great Depression with, with the, tra the trauma in his family, it explained a lot to me in, in, in a theme in my own life that I didn't even know. Um, and so I began to deal with and grapple with this, what do we do with pain? What do we do... Uh, in our life when, when we, we, we come into desolation. And uh, I want to look at uh, 
Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane because I think he has a lot to teach us about how we can disciple our heart in, through prayer in these times and these seasons, uh, circumstances of desolation. Luke chapter 22, let me pray before we dive into God's word. Lord, we pray that you, Lord, would minister to our hearts. You know where each of the hearts are here that walked in this room and the burdens and pains and traumas that they carry. Pray that you administer to them, touch them, Lord, uh, even as you ministered to your son in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we pray, speak to us through your word. Amen. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Uh, in the Matthew version here, it says that he went to a place called Gethsemane. Um, and uh, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. And Gethsemane actually means olive press. Olive press, is, it's natural on the Mount of Olives to have an olive press, right? What is an olive press? Well, it's like a cider press or, or a grape press. You, you, you screw down on the fruit, and, and, it, and it, uh, in the case of olives, it gives out olive oil. Um, uh, but it's interesting here because what we see in, in, this, uh, in this episode in the Gospels is the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus' heart is literally in an olive press. He's being pressed down by what he is carrying. You know, when you, has your heart been in an olive press? This feeling of the imploding of pressure of life's desolations. Um, you know, we just had the story about the Triton submarine that um, imploded uh, when it was trying to, to go to the Titanic from the, from, the, from the incredible pressure. They say it's more difficult to go to that depth than it is even to go to the moon. Um, and, uh, and they say that it, when it crushed, it crushed them within nanoseconds. That they didn't even know what happened. But sometimes we are hit by circumstances as well that we don't even know what happened. And, and they can be crushing to us. And that's what uh, unemployment was to me. And, uh, and so one of the things I did, you got to pay your bills. Um, I got a job uh, driving a, a mail truck. I think I mentioned that to you all before, where you drive from the distribution center out to the, the, uh, to the post offices. You bring in the mail. You have to wait because the process center has to, has to, they have to process all that. Then they give you big carts of mail to take back out. And so there's this interlude in between the two. And, it was, uh, and so I started about 11 o'clock at night. I was done about 4 or 5 in the morning. Um, and in between, I would sleep in the cab of the truck. It was New Year's Eve, which is the most busy time. Christmas is the most busy time for the Postal Service. And uh, I was uh, in the truck, and uh, it was this time where I was just waiting in between about 2 or 3 in the morning. And, the, you know, the, the magnanimity of this just hit me. Like, what in the world am I doing? How did I get here? I should be on Christmas Eve preparing a Christmas Eve service, a, a sermon. You know, all these years of going to seminary and, and, and a doctorate, 10 years of preparation that we invested. You know, God, why? What are you doing? Why are you throwing this just away? Have you thrown me away? You know, Elizabeth Elliot talks about what do you do when God comes at you left-handed? What do you do when God comes at you left-handed, right? Uh, a sucker punch. Um, and uh, and she, she uh, of course, deals with her, her own story in that regard and is very candid, and that's, that's something that's really helped me. Um, but uh, in this passage, we see that uh, to disciple your heart through prayer, we have to follow Jesus into the garden. He's going into the garden of Gethsemane. We need to follow him into the garden. Where do I put my feelings? Where do I put my heart? What do I do with this? 
To follow Jesus in the garden, we have to face our pain in the garden because Jesus faced his pain in the garden. He didn't hide from it. He didn't isolate. You know, many times uh, in life when we get in these circumstances, we, we, we feel like we're in a desert, and so we just bunker up, right? We build these walls, and we isolate. And what we've done is we've just uh, dug ourselves into the middle of a desert, and we're isolated behind these walls as we try to even hide from the pain of what is truly going on. Jesus went into the garden to face his pain, and his pain was the brokenness of the world. Your brokenness and my brokenness. To follow Jesus amid your pain, you have to face your pain in the garden, just like he did. Uh, it says, and when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Um, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Uh, in Matthew, it says he was taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee. He began to be sorrowful. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. To follow Jesus in the garden, notice that first what he does is he seeks community. He doesn't go into the garden alone. He takes his disciples with him. In prayer, prayer is not just a solitary task. It's something that we enter into as a body, organically, for one another. In the face of betrayal, Jesus didn't flee community. He sought community. And one of the things that we have to learn to do as we mature is to open up the kimono, right, to make ourselves vulnerable to, to the body of Christ, to let them know where we're really at and stop and take down this mask that so often we do. But amid pain and betrayal, Jesus moved toward community, not away from it. In Matthew, it says that my, he says, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And prayer is one way that we can sit with one another uh, amongst what we're going through. Uh, and the word compassion, you know, in the Latin, it literally means to suffer with. And that's what we, we have the blessing. We have the privilege to suffer with one another, to have empathy for one another in terms of what we're going to, and then to advocate for one another in prayer. We all need that. Um, but, you know, most times when someone's in that state and, the, and they, they experience it like I did, y'all saw me the other Sunday, we become uncomfortable with it, right? Uh, we, what do you do when somebody cries? What do you do? I mean, a lot of times we want to give some kind of quick answer, like, oh, it's, you know, it's going to, God's going to take care of God's sovereign. It's, you know, they're in a better place. You know, we kind of have these trite bumper sticker things. It's, it's just like, oh, please stop crying. I just got to give you an answer. Why? <laughs> because we're uncomfortable with it. We want to fix the person. We want to stop the crying as opposed to just sitting with it, which I felt like y'all did. And you gave me a great gift in doing that as my, as I was dealing with desolation. Um, but we need to follow Jesus amid our pain by seeking community in the garden. It says that he withdrew from them a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, and he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. What is this cup? What is this cup? It's the pain that Jesus felt. It was him seeing the cross before him. It was his coming suffering. Now, in Protestant tradition, we have a cross which is empty, right? Why? Because we want to stress the resurrection. Jesus doesn't need to die for us again. We don't need to have mass every week. He doesn't need to die for us again every week. That's why we don't have him on the cross. But we're uncomfortable really seeing Christ naked suffering on the cross, what he was facing. 
I was in Cuba this last uh, January, and if ever I have a time, you know, it's just like you go to these places, and, and, and you know, souvenirs are terrible. You know, there's nothing you'd ever want. I mean, they're, they're, you know, like carved coconuts and, you know, like ashtrays and whatever, humidors in Cuba. But I, one of the things that interests me are, are old things, and so I asked, is there, anybody, is there any place here in town that, that has old things? Antiques and uh, and they did. I just I had a, a, an hour or two to go to go run it down, and I went to this guy's house, and this is what it looked like on the inside. It was filled with crucifixes, on all the walls, on every uh, flat surface. Now this is sad because this tells you what's happening in Cuba. What in the world are all these things doing in somebody's house, right? Because they belong in churches. But if you look at that, you see Christ suffering. And we're uncomfortable with that in Protestant circles, in Protestant tradition. It was jarring to me. It was jarring, right? I was uncomfortable with it to see the suffering of Christ depicted. And yet, this was what Christ was facing. This is what he was facing. Um, And uh, he was facing the weight of the brokenness of the world. And he was facing this coming isolation from God himself. He who who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, right? That's what he was facing. Because when he became sin on our behalf, God the Father couldn't have intimate communion with that which was sin. And Christ knew that this was coming. See, Christ is not the only begotten son. He's also the only forsaken son. He was forsaken in that utter loneliness. He saw, and he was dreading, and he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. The first thing he says is, Father, Abba, in the Mark version, it says it, in the, which is the Aramaic, right? The Aramaic is actually what Christ usually spoke. He didn't really speak Greek. He didn't speak English. Uh, but he spoke Aramaic, and Abba le- leaks through as the Aramaic word for daddy, right? He goes to his father, to his Abba, 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 Abba. He takes his heart to his father. And that's what uh, we need to do as well. And so one of the books that ministered to me when I was dealing with unemployment was Larry Crabb's book called The Abba Prayer. And it's about how do we really center and meditate on this reality of our relationship as, as daughters and sons of God and him as our Abba, as our Heavenly Father. But this Abba Prayer that, that Larry Crabb suggests is a breath prayer. And I don't know if y'all have ever practiced breath prayers, but they're based on inhaling and exhaling. And so... Uh, the Abba prayer goes, um, Abba, Father, I'm yours. Abba, Father, I'm yours. That's all there is to it. It's a simple prayer. You breathe in. Abba, Father, I'm yours. Abba, Father, I'm yours. Stick out your hands and do this if you're comfortable. Just focus on this for a minute. Abba Father, I'm yours. You can say it, speak it verbally. Abba Father, I'm yours. We're crawling into his lap, into his arms, and we're learning to be there and rest there. And that's what I had to do because that was the only security that I had. 
1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and carries to God, God the Father, our Abba, for He cares about what happens to you. God cares about what happens to you. That scripture, it's inerrant, it's truth. God cares about what happens to you. He cares about what's on your heart right now. Your concerns are His concerns. God cares about what happens to you. And Jesus said, Take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Jesus wanted to quit. He wanted to quit. I don't know if you ever thought about that. He's saying, get me out of this situation. Let me out. That's the human Jesus, right? When have you been in a situation in which you just want God to get me out of this? I don't want to be anywhere else but here right now. No, I will not be here. That's the first stage, you know, grief is denial, right? This is not happening to me. No, not again. Not again. Gethsemane is a place of desolation, a garden, but it's also a garden of consolation. Whose father is it? Whose garden is it? It's the father's garden. Gethsemane is the father's garden. Go into your father's garden garden. It's a place of safety. It's a place of unconditional love. It's a place of said, covenanted favor poured out on you that is everlasting to everlasting. Over and over again, it says in the Old Testament, your father's garden. And when Jesus said, take this cup from me, he was feeling the pressure of our sin and our guilt. And what comes out when Jesus is under this enormous pressure? His blood came out. Literally, its blood came out. It says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his blood became like drops of blood falling on the ground, falling down to the ground. Jesus sweat blood. His cardiovascular system burst. Literally, his capillaries, that's what's happening here. His blood pressure is so high that his capillaries are bursting, and his blood pressure from the stress of pain was so high that his body literally began leaking blood. It began leaking pain. When Jesus was in the garden, he left something behind. What did he leave behind in the garden for you and I to come there? He left his blood. His blood is in the garden. What does that mean? It means redemption. It means complete restoration from brokenness. He will make all things new. That's the hope that we have in him because of his blood. If you kneel where he knelt, you will find what you need for your heart. You'll find what he found, the consolation of his father, which we now have through his blood. If we take our pain there and give it to him and allow him to bury it under his blood, then he resurrects our heart to a new hope. Don and I, you know, when we, one or the other of us you know, is kind of in the ditch of life and, and, and struggling to, to stand up and get out, um, one of the things we'll do is we'll, we have a practice that we'll imagine a box and we'll imagine putting our pain inside of it. We'll visualize this, putting this problem, this circumstance, putting this in this box that I'm holding and then putting a top on this box. And taking this box in my mind, visually, I take this box to the foot of the cross and leave it at the foot of the cross. And in my mind, I visualize walking away, leaving it 
with Jesus, leaving it even as Jesus did here with his father. It goes on and it says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him, in verse 43. God will send an angel to strengthen you. God sent an angel to minister to Jesus. Jesus needed ministering to. Jesus, the human being, needed ministering to. You know, uh, James, uh, Jim just gave me a book that he was recommending on, on our, our limits, our, our, our finiteness, our finitude, as he said. I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, we're human. Jesus was human. We have, we have limits. We, we, being human, we have limits. We need to be ministering to. Uh, one of the retreats that God really used in my life is called Men at the Cross. It's kind of a, uh, 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 I can't think of the name of it. But anyway, uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a grace immersion, grace experience weekend. But one of the things that I, I love about that is they'll say, they'll have everybody, all the men around in a circle, and will say, God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. God is God, I am human. I am human, I am not God. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that, that we're human and we need help. God says he'll send his angels to strengthen you. Psalm 91, he who, shall, who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the ped- deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. His pinions. Under his wing you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shelter and a buckler, it says in Psalm 91. You will not fear the terror that goes by night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right side, but it won't come near you. You will only look on your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil will befall you, no plague come near you, tent. Plague, evil is all around us. Yes, this is a broken world. What's the worst that it can do to me? Kill me. That's the worst that can do to me. Was unemployment going to kill me? No. They can't take my soul, right? They can't take the love of Christ. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. My relationship with God has been eternally sealed and covenanted. And it says, verse 11 of Psalm 91, for he will command his angels concerning you. God commands his angels concerning you. Your concerns, God makes his angels concerns, just like he did Jesus. And it says to guard you in all of your ways, to guard you in all of your ways. Sometimes I'll call my mom and I ask her to pray for me because she's a prayer warrior. I talked to her, I told you she calls it storming the throne. But what she says, she's going to pray. She says, David, I'm going to pray God's angels, his 747 size angels over you. <laughs> That's what she says. God's 747 size angels, David, I'm going to pray those over you. God has his angels around us. That's the promise that we have. And it says, their hands will bear you up. Jesus needed hands to bear him up in the Garden of Gethsemane. God sent him hands to support him when we feel like we can't go on. Sometimes we just have to collapse into the arms of God and say, I need you to carry me. I need you to carry me through this. Verse 45 goes on and says, When he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping in sorrow. 
And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Arise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Temptation from what? What were they tempted? What what was their temptation? Their temptation was that they wouldn't fall. Pray that you don't fall, right? That you don't falter. When disciples entered their day of desolation, when their master was arrested, when he was crucified, guess what? They fell, right? Peter fell. He fell, even though he was so overconfident. Don't underestimate your risk of falling. When you think you can't fall, you are at the greatest risk. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Lord, keep me. Lord, creep me. Lord, keep me from falling. Jesus is saying, pray, pray. Keep me in the time of temptation. Strengthen me, right? This is, you know, he is the one who makes a way of escape for us. But then he says, he says to him, rise and pray. Rise and pray that you may enter into temptation. What did the disciples do? Well, it says that they found them sleeping for sorrow. Sleeping for sorrow. I don't know if you ever, that phrase hit me. I'd never really noticed that phrase. What does it mean they were sleeping for sorrow? Now, I've dealt with depression in part of my story. Uh, and uh, 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 and when, I'm, when I'm dealing with depression, physical depression, where serotonin is too low, or it could be circumstantial as well, um, I crave sleep. I crave sleep. Because I just, when I'm sleeping, I'm not feeling anything. And it's one of the reasons why it's, it's, a, it's a symptom of depression is, is, is sleeping too much. Um, but they're, they're sleeping for sorrow. Uh, it, it's just interesting that sleeping for escape, asleep at the wheel, right? Um, they couldn't handle the sorrow of what Jesus is saying. They kept saying, no, 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 no you're not going to die. No, 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 they're not, that's not going to happen. Every time he kept foreshadowing, no, no, they kept rejecting it. But what do we have to do first? First, he says, rise and pray. Rise and pray that you may not enter temptation. You have to rise in order to pray. You have to get in a posture of prayer. You need to set a time. You need to make prayer a priority. You have to wake up. Disciples need to wake up and pray. Sometimes we can just go through life asleep on, on like cruise control. You know, this is like you've driven for, for an hour and you, you don't remember any of it. That's happened to you before, right? That's, sometimes life can be like that. Spiritually, we can be like that. Where we're just zoned out, we're tuned out. We're not spiritually tuned in. We're not tuned in to our heart. And Jesus said, pray that you may not end to temptation. This is a command. This requires obedience. He's saying this to disciples. If you want to follow me, one of my commands is to pray. 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 And then he says, See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. My betrayer is at hand. Now, one of the things I like to do, I like to use object lessons. Uh, They're uh, tangible things that to me are reminders uh, of my walk with God, reminders of what I need to be doing in terms of my own heart formation. And I was discipling some men in, in Mooresville. And I, uh, sometimes I do things that are a little uh, out of the box. I don't know if y'all realize that yet or not. Um, and uh, so I, I went and I ordered a bunch of preserved sheep's hearts. These are to dissect for dissection, right? And I put them in, in and they're, they're in formaldehyde. And uh, 
and, and I put them in Ziploc bags, and, I, and then I put those in paper bags, and I took these to my discipleship group. And I gave them in, I gave each one of them one of these bags. <laughs> and then they look inside of it. And what I told them is, I want you this week, I want you to, periodically, I want you to take this out and I want you to hold it. And I want you to imagine that you're holding your heart. And I want you to look at your heart. What does your heart look like if you were to hold your heart before God instead of just keeping it away? You know, after a week, I asked one of the guys, how'd it go? You know, he's, he's like, oh, yeah, you got that heart. Oh, yeah, that, uh, yeah, I, I left that in the car the whole week. <laughs> well, I'm sure it smelled great after being in the car for a week. But that's what we do. We forget our heart, right? We don't, we're not attentive to what it's doing. One of the main words in spiritual formation is attentiveness, to attend, to attend to what's spiritually going on. And that's what we have to do with our hearts. And that's what prayer can help us do. Prayer can help us disciple our heart to our Abba, even in the middle of pain and desolation. That's what Jesus did. He discipled his heart. For God, it's always about the heart. Never forget that. It's always about the heart. Crossway is about the heart, right? It's about our heart. God, Abba, we trust you with our hearts. This morning, we hold them out before you. Much of our heart we don't even know. It's like an iceberg. You know it, O Holy Spirit. You are in the process of sanctifying it, of growing it, of forming it. We hold it out before you. Lord, much of our heart is pain. This, but you have promised to take our heart of mourning and to give us a mantle of praise, of joy, even in the middle of the circumstances that we're in. Lord, that's why we praise you. And we pray that in the heart-resurrecting name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain for us, that we can know that that hope is true, it is sure. You are our refuge and our hope. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.